Napa know-how. There are lots of amazing cars on the road, but perhaps none more amazing than the paid-off car. It may not be pretty, but the price is right. Heck, if you keep that thing running, it'll actually start paying you. Because with Napa Rewards, for every $100 you spend, you'll get $5 off. So keep your car running longer, stronger with Napa Rewards, and watch the savings start rolling in. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. You are Locked On Mavericks, your daily podcast on the Dallas Mavericks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. to Locked On Mavericks for Wednesday, October 5th. We are a part of the uh, larger Locked On Podcast Network. If you're interested in a, uh, a football team or maybe fantasy sports or something like that, feel free to uh, roam around there and subscribe to something. Uh, it's the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team. It's every single day. What we're going to do today, uh, myself, Mike Marshall at Machine Sports on Twitter, uh, also of uh, Sports Radio 1310, The Ticket in Dallas, Texas. You can hear me Saturday mornings, 10 a.m. to noon on a show called Not a Podcast, and my co-host, Jake Kemp, also of uh, Sports Radio 1310, The Ticket, and you can follow him at NotJackKemp on Twitter, and you can follow the show at Locked on Mavs if you'd like. He uh, produces Bad Radio, noon to three, every single day, Monday through Friday, and also hosts uh, Sundays, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. on The Shake Joint. What we're going to do is continue our discussion from uh, yesterday. Uh, we had a couple technical difficulties in our recording our Tuesday episode, and no worries, we got all the audio, we fixed everything, everything's patched, but uh, in our constant stopping and starting of recording and the uh, the difficulty we, were, we ran into, we did not realize that we had recorded about an hour worth of audio, <laughs> and the rule with these things is kind of keep them short, you know, 15 to uh, 30 is about the max, so uh, we figured we'd split it into two, and it's easy to do that because... We're talking about the Dallas Mavericks team building. And uh, before we get to that, I guess let's uh, keep you apprised of some of the things that came out uh, yesterday and uh, I think earlier in the week via uh, The Ringer. Jonathan Charks uh, wrote a new uh, article. It's called, Is a Change in in Scenery? Sorry, Is a Change in Scenery? All Harrison Barnes Needed. It's a very interesting article. I would advise you to check it out. Some required reading for Mavericks fans. Um, Charks is really good at what he does, and uh, there was some stuff in there that I didn't know. So go check that out. We'll probably talk about it later in the week. And also, Justin Anderson had a uh, long-form sit-down with Oliver Maroney of Basketball Insider. And this thing's pretty long, and it gets uh, kind of interesting um, once you get down into it. So we might uh, skim through some of that, cherry-pick some of the most interesting topics, and talk about that on the Thursday and Friday episodes. And we're going to try. We're efforting to get... Uh, Charks on to uh, to talk to us for about 10-15 minutes about the article and you know what he did, uh, what he researched and put into it, and uh, his take on the Mavericks this season in general. Um, some scheduling things to throw at you: Mavericks' next preseason game is the eighth, which is this Saturday, and it's at the Milwaukee Bucks. 
So a nice Saturday night pregame or uh, Saturday night preseason game that nobody will see. And then on the uh, 11th, it would appear, we get uh, Oklahoma City right here in Dallas, Texas. I believe that's next Tuesday. Yeah, so October 11th, uh, the Tuesday, we get OKC here at the AAC for the second preseason home game. And uh, we are exactly 21 days, three weeks away from the regular season opener, Mavs at Indiana Pacers. So it's getting closer. I know it doesn't feel like it. That seems like a long time. This preseason and this um, end of this Mavs offseason feels like it's the election and it's dragged on for about half a lifetime. But we're getting closer. Three weeks from this exact date, we will be playing real life basketball. So looking forward to that. All right, let's get to our uh, discussion. Uh, the second half of our discussion it starts with the 14-15 offseason, um, the pursuit of Chandler Parsons, the addition of Tyson Chandler. Uh, we basically chew up uh, how the Mavs were built uh, the last two years and how we feel about it, how successful they are, and how it put them in the situation they are right now. I feel like it was a very uh, cathartic, very uh, soothing session on the couch talking about the missteps and the opportunities and some of the uh, some of the good choices and good decisions they made that, um, you know, kind of aren't um, – they aren't getting the fruit of right now because they uh, – obviously Parsons and – Tyson Chandler are gone. So let's just dive into it. It starts with the 14-15 offseason, and uh, it's a pretty long one. So uh, so buckle in as uh, Jake Kemp and myself discuss the Mavericks team building on our, uh, our third installment of uh, that series, and I uh, hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening to Locked on Mavericks. Season of 14-15, you realize that this uh, Samuel D'Alembert bullcrap centers isn't going to work. And on June 25th, the Mavs decide to trade, um, let's see, Jose Calderon, Samuel D'Alembert, Wayne Ellington, Shane Larkin, and a second-round pick to the New York Knicks for Chandler Parsons, not Chandler Parsons, sorry, Ty- Tyson Chandler and uh, Raymond Felton. And yeah. so they, they bring Tyson Chandler home which I had zero problem with. Like, Calderon, D'Alembert, Ellington, Larkin, the second-round pick are nothing to me. Like, they don't make any kind of difference. I mean, it really was a matter of the Knicks wanting to get away from that the po- the well had been poisoned with Chandler there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Which yeah, is that, crazy. That, that locker room didn't work. Yeah, so, I mean, they were just trying to get out of that and yeah. kind of hit reset, but reset still with a $30 million player on their roster. And mm-hmm. the Mavericks were the beneficiary, uh, beneficiaries of it, so – yeah, it's kind of a weird thing that is, despite everything we said about Larkin, he was still able to fetch you an effective player. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of the way it ended up going. So now that you've got Tyson Chandler in the fold for uh, basically just a, you know, a bag of nickels, nothing that you're really going to miss. Um, you still got Monte at the two. You start filling out the rest of your roster uh, in free agency and. If Damian Lillard doesn't hit that shot against the Rockets, and I think it was game six or game seven to knock them out, I think the Rockets, um, you know, they lock in Chandler Parsons for his one-year option. And it was dumb that they didn't anyway because it was such a low dollar figure. But uh, he becomes a restricted free agent. The summer of Chandler Parsons begins. Pardon me. 
Um, and Cuban's out at all the uh, the hot bars with he and Demo. And eventually, Chandler Parsons becomes a Mav for a very poison pill contract, uh, two years with a third-year player option whenever the salary cap is about to hit the ceiling. Uh, very high trade kickers. But uh, the Mavs have put together a pretty decent little starting five there with, uh, you know, fill-in-your-blank point guard, uh, Monte, Parsons, Dirk, Tyson. And they also have Al Farouk Aminu uh, on the bench and a second year of Jay Crowder to uh, to pin all your hopes on. Devin Harris still there. Um, but uh, they end up adding Jameer Nelson um, as a veteran point guard because they don't have any other options at that point and all their money's spent up. And they start the season with uh, one of the better offensive ratings that's ever been compiled for like a month. And uh, we soon realize that that isn't quite going to work. Yeah, I still wonder if if they would have done it for the whole year, if it would have really affected their win total. I know it wasn't going to work as far as them being a title team because they had so much offense and so little defense. Um, I mean, obviously you had the rim protection of Tyson, but he was already starting to slip a little bit on that end. Mm -hmm. But it was more like... You had to kind of take this view of, does this give us a chance to actually win a championship? And yep. if you're paying, you're still, at that point, you'd, you'd re, Dirk had a lower deal, but you're paying Parsons as much as you were, which was still on the old cap. I think it was really about, do we have any chance to deal with one of these top teams? And the Warriors came in on a Saturday afternoon and scored like 75 points and a half. Yeah. On the, on the Mavericks, and that was – it was around December, mm-hmm. and it was like, okay, um, we can probably win 45 to 50 games, but we have zero shot of beating anybody in the playoffs with this lineup. So yeah. it was kind of one of those weird deals where they – it was a high-risk, high-reward type move, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they um, they bite the bullet. And they trade for Rajon Rondo on December 18th, uh, 2014. It costs you Jay Crowder, Jameer Nelson, Brandon Wright, and a uh, first first and second round pick of the 2016 draft. Boston also receives a $13 million trade exception. And we all found really quick, we all uh, realized really quickly that um, the mythos around Rajon Rondo and uh, what he was – and what he can actually – or what he's willing to fit into and what he's willing to, uh, you know, adhere to whenever your coach is a very controlling coach of point guards. Everyone in Boston, I felt like, already knew this. <laughs> and they tried to tell us about it. And we just didn't want to listen. Yeah, I mean, I would say I actually feel like I kind of went into it with my eyes open. It was more about, like, I was definitely hoping for a change of scenery sort of thing. I mean, I knew mm-hmm. that he didn't want to play with a bunch of kids. Even though Boston was competitive and was on their way to being competitive, he didn't want to be there. He didn't want to play. And, you know, they were investing a ton of, of, uh, you know, time and money into Smart and Bradley. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, even later down the line, they they made a play for Thomas. So I think it was pretty clear that he – it wasn't going to work for him there and that he'd started to decline there. I was hoping that on this team they would be able to do two things. One – not lean on him offensively at all. 
Yeah. And there's not there wasn't a lot of great offensive talent on that Boston team, but there was here. So I thought, you know, if there can be a way, and Parsons can handle the ball, so on offense, maybe Rondo. But the problem is, if you can't shoot, then you have to have the ball in your hands. But if you have the ball in your hands and you're not very good with it anymore, you're a complete zero on offense. And if you're not willing to try on defense, which he seemed to no longer be willing to do, uh, then that was out of the question as well. So it wasn't even really like I was unaware that he had started to decline or that he was a prick. It was that I thought that something about playing here would work better for him. Um, well, you'd seen and, it with and, Vince and Carter. Kind, yeah, I'd seen it with Vince. I'd seen it with Marion. And I was kind of willing to bet on that. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I mean, at the time, you look at your window closing, you really only had a two-year deal with Parsons. And I thought, dude, if you can get 80% of the Rondo you used to get, you can win a playoff series, you can convince Parsons to stick around. It might even work to keep Monte because he was a pretty nice fit next to Monte. I mean, neither one of them can shoot all that well, but there aren't that many 3-4 combos that are going to shoot it better than Parsons and Dirk. So, mm-hmm. On paper, it wasn't that hard to make it make sense. It was just that he wanted no part of trying to make it make sense. Yeah, I haven't seen a player uh, give as few Fs as Rondo. And whenever you're a point guard and you're a ball-dominant point guard, dude, it's so telling. Like, you can tell every intention that he's moving with. And most of the time, he was just probing to try and get in the lane and, and flick something up. Um at 12.4 PER uh, for his 46 games as a Dallas Maverick. Uh, exactly the same production that Ray Felton gave you that season. Um, and I think this kind of started to um, raise concerns about the Mavericks, uh, I guess, scouting of personalities and, yeah. scu- and scouting of fits of guys that, you know, they always want to bring in the right kind of guy and all that, you know, talk. Um, you failed pretty hard over the last four years of doing that, just not following Lamar Odom around for like two days and figuring out what the hell he's doing, or at least having like one conversation with Rajon Rondo before trading, uh, trading for him. Because from what I understand, Rick was not on board. Yeah. And if Rick's not going to be on board and you have someone as stubborn as Rondo, as self-destructive as Rondo, man, that season... Those 46 games he was here was some of the most just gut-wrenching Mavericks basketball that we've ever had to watch. A yeah, true, was, shooting, true shooting of 460. <laughs> especially when you contrast it with the first half of the season. But, yep. again, I would just reiterate, I kind of saw where they were coming from. It was just you can't have a guy who's not a great basketball fit who's also going to be, you know, cancer a jerk. in the room. Yeah, yeah because – I still think if he really would have bought in, like if mm-hmm. he would have had, you know, D. Will level buy-in last year, or Vince Carter or Sean Marion level buy-in, I think they could have made his skill set work a little bit. But mm-hmm. you had his personality combined with Monte's, combined with Parsons, combined with Rick's, and you had a number of one-way players. In uh, one-way players, the only way they're going to be able to fit is if they accept their fit in their role. So. Mm-hmm. It seemed that they had a number of dudes who were not willing to do that and a coach who was not willing to uh, put up with it. And I don't blame him because he didn't want the deal. And it was an all-around disaster um, yeah. that really put him in a bad spot for years to come. And what made matters worse is he was a free agent. 
So yeah. really the only value, it's not even like you could trade him. The only value you would have had is if it went really well, he gelled with the team, they win a playoff series, and then he, you know, because he would have played in a playoff series, mm-hmm. and then he, uh, well, I guess he did play one game, but then yeah. he, he decides that this is a good place for him, and he comes back and you have partial bird rights, which are pretty much worthless with a dude who's not getting maxed out anyways, but you would have been hoping that he liked it here. So if your entire purpose of bringing a guy in is to bring him in and hope that he likes it here and then he hates it, uh, <laughs> then you've pretty much just shot yourself in the foot for the better part of 36 months. Yeah, you played your, you played your one card um, and dumped so many assets into it. That's what I don't understand is I don't mind bringing in Rondo um, even if it's the last year of his contract, just to see what he's got and see if he'll play for, you know, an, an, you know, his NBA livelihood, um, or even bring him, bring him in and immediately sign an extension and say, well, this is going to work no matter what, cause you're going to be here. So just make it work. But dumping that many assets yeah. into a decision that you clearly weren't confident about because you hadn't looked into it. That, that drives me insane, man. And then the meltdown happens, I think, uh, that home game against Toronto yeah. um, where he ends up yelling F you, F you at Rick, and they go back and forth for a minute. And uh, he gets kneed in the head by, I can't remember who it is, it might be Richard Jefferson, and has to miss substantial time. And it was just, dude, he and Monte didn't get along. He and Rick didn't get along. He was doing his own thing, calling his own plays, bringing the ball up way too damn slow, um, and just infuriated everybody. And – you could tell because they sent his ass home during the playoffs. <laughs> That's pretty telling. Like, how bad do you have to be um, in the room for them to just send your ass home? And the thing that sucked was, um, obviously, your your number one, your 1A point guard's gone. Tyson wasn't the same after a, uh, a late game or a late season game against the Raptors again. It wasn't the same game. It might have been the same game. I can't remember. But a game against the Raptors, I think Amir Johnson like catches him in the hip with a knee. And Tyson was never the same the rest of that season. And then you get Parsons needing microfracture um, as you're going into the playoffs. And everything just got flushed so quickly down the toilet. And, um, yeah, you lose gentleman's sweep style to the Houston Rockets in the first round. They win game three at home with Berea going insane. Mm-hmm. and Rockets make quick work of them. And uh, the Rajon Rondo era is over, and so is the Tyson Chandler era and the Al Farouk Aminu era. Uh, very early on in that next offseason free agency, they let Amino go for what is like three for 30 or four for 40 to Portland. Tyson is uh, really annoyed by them chasing DeAndre, um, and he says bye. He goes to Phoenix. Uh, Rondo goes to Sacramento. Uh, and he can GTFO, who cares? But now you're sitting here and you're chasing DeAndre Jordan. And we don't have to rehash the, all of the DeAndre stuff. Like I think, There's no need. I think everybody's done a pretty good job about it. Um, but Dan Fagan tried to steer him here. Uh, DeAndre didn't like that. Uh, ended up re-signing with the Clippers. Cost Fagan a client. Um, and so in that offseason, you bring back J.J. Barea. Um, I can't remember what exact date. I think it was really late. Mm-hmm. into like training camp or maybe maybe during the season when Minnesota decided they were they were done with all that um you drafted Justin Anderson at 21 overall 
Um, all the money that you had earmarked for uh, DeAndre, most of it's now going to Wes Matthews. You bring in career backup uh, center Zaza Pachulia. And on a very uh, pretty sly move, you bring in Darren Williams. And, you know, this is another Frankenstein of a roster. Um, but the Mavs had been so good in the previous two seasons of uh, exceeding expectations, winning 40, 50 games and then 49 games prior to that, that, um, you know, I thought they might have something figured out here. But uh, Wes Matthews is coming off an Achilles tear. Chandler Parsons is coming off of a uh, micro-fracture. Um, the stain of the DeAndre thing is looming pretty heavily. They play Zaza 27 minutes a game, basically up in – or they play him more than that up until the All-Star break before he starts breaking down. Uh, and he has problems everywhere. And, you know, people thought they might tank uh, last year. But if they had their own pick, they might have. <laughs> like if they if they had their first and second round pick, it might have made sense. Yeah. But um, there's no incentive to tanking, especially in one of Dirk's final couple of years. So uh, they fight the good fight and win 42 games. But um, really, I just want a normal ass Maverick season. <laughs> like, is that too much to ask for? Like to have your uh, your starting five, all the dudes play like 70 plus games, not have a locker room cancer, not have you know your two highest paid players and Parsons and, uh, and Wes Matthews to be coming off just debilitating injuries. And this is the, uh, you know, I don't want to be, um, what, like a Yankees fan and think that my sorrow is so unique, but this has been a really, really stinking weird run of narratives that have, that have shaped, uh, the last couple of seasons. We are having to pay for ten eleven. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. With like a ton of taxes too. Yep the bill the bill has come due, man. Yeah. And the the fact that you haven't developed any young talent is just so glaring. The failed um, trades, the back out of deals, the being the yep. second team to finish on every free agent. Uh, uh, I mean, the it's 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 stunning, really. Like yeah. even if it was just DeAndre, but DeAndre combined with Rondo, combined with Dwight. Combined with D will being from here the first time and in, in skating on you, combined with Parsons' knees, it's just you know, <laughs> it's been an unbelievably unfortunate run for the Mavericks since the title. Some of those things they exacerbated on their own, but I think some of it they were trying to keep a window open and taking big hail mary shots and always mm -hmm. dropping the ball right at the goal line. Yeah, and like all that stuff aside. Like, that stuff, although a lot of that's bad luck and just not reading the market correctly and not realizing the only free agents you've ever added were restricted free agents that no one else wanted to bid for. Like, all that's cooked into the gumbo. Yeah. But having a roster of dudes that are being extended far past their limitations and having nobody that is healthy to play in the playoffs, that's something that's got to get fixed. Like, that's insane to me. That they've done, they did that two years in a row, of overextending people and uh, basically making it where you know, good God, I don't remember who was starting at point guard last year um, in the playoffs. I think Berea toughed it out, but he had like a torn hamstring. You got some some Devin, I think. Yeah, there was some Devin in there for sure, but I mean, just that's what this thing is all about. Like, get to the playoffs and try and do something to the playoffs, but your roster construction is so poor that. 
<laughs> like you're not even giving yourself a chance. But I guess we've gone long enough on this unless you have anything, uh, any other hot takes. No, it's been cathartic. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I just think people need to understand that uh, the life of a Mavericks fan is kind of a unique thing, um, and I don't feel like I'm being um, self-serving in saying that in any way. So there you go. Um, we'll be back with you uh, tomorrow with some Locked On Mavericks. Uh, feel free to subscribe to uh, give us a rating on there. And uh, thank you for listening. Uh, this is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every single day. Thanks for your time, Jake. I'll see you, man. With the holidays around the corner, now's your chance to save time and money at Safeway Stock Up Sale. Plus, earn four times gas reward points on participating items. Look for tags on items like Honey Nut Cheerios. Select varieties are four for eight dollars with your club card. And select varieties of Betty Crocker Cake Mix, Brownie Mix, or Frosting are ten for ten dollars with your club card. Maximum gas reward at participating Sunoco stations is twenty cents per gallon and one dollar per gallon at Safeway stations in a single fill of up to twenty-five gallons. Other restrictions, limitations, and exclusions apply. For complete details, go to Safeway.com.